Time for some Wheel Nerds. Hi, and welcome to Wheel Nerds. This is episode 20. I'm Todd. And I'm Chuck. Tonight we're going to be talking about motorcycles and girls in lingerie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that goes straight to our first ad of the week. The ad possibly of the century. <laughs> Folks, is your bike dirty? Are you looking for a cleaning service with a real value ad? Yes. Yes, I am. Well, if you live in Vancouver, I've got the service for you. <laughs> I will clean your motorcycle slash vehicle in lingerie and high... Not me. I got to point out. Yeah. Not, I'm reading an ad. I'm not actually offering That got this. weird. Yeah. So this girl will do it Chuck in lingerie it, yeah. and high heels. No, I won't. There is no level of wheel nerd sponsorship that that will happen. I don't care how many dog biscuits you eat. <laughs> Ain't going to happen. Anyways, no. Craigslist ad, girl will clean your stuff in lingerie and high heels. And there's a picture. Yep. She makes sure to get a picture with a little bit of cleavage action going on. Yeah, yeah. And her uh, scrubbing the bike. It's not the most efficient scrubbing technique, but I'm not sure. I'm not even sure she's scrubbing it. It kind of looks like she's just... uh, Posing. Padding the seat. You know, I I think I'm okay with that. Uh, This feels like a trap to me. It could be. No. You know what this feels like to me? What's that? To me, this screams... Angry ex-boyfriend. Could be, yeah. <laughs> except, except, wait, no, it's a, uh, it's a, but it's a Craigslist ad. Sure, it, but it's got the anonymous Craigslist yeah. email. Yeah, but look at the the title of this ad: okay. "Spit Polish Your Ride." Right. Yeah, angry ex-boyfriend. Think so? I don't know. I think this. I think this could be. I think this could be a law student. <laughs> It's uh, she's going to show up with a big burly six foot seven. Oh, most certainly, yeah, some <laughs> enormous dude. Yep, with a shotgun who will beat you up and take your money. But if you just sit back and watch, like you're supposed to, <laughs> she'll clean your motorcycle and lingerie and high heels. Do you want this as sort of a bachelor present for your upcoming wedding? No, I'm good. You sure? We yeah, could, I could probably find someone here. A couple girls clean your strom. It might take them six, seven hours. <laughs> I was going to say, uh, are we giving them a power washer or something? Because have you seen the bike? You know, you know how the monarch butterflies are uh, are uh, migrating? <laughs> really? Let me tell you. The monarch butterflies? Yep. They're migrating. And less My of, bike is a graveyard less of, of them migrating are gonna, butterflies. Less of them are going to make it this year? My bike is now black and orange on the front. <laughs> Two will make it. <laughs> Where are you hit, p- picking these things up? Where are you hitting them? Uh, I was in Mirror Lake Highway at the time. Oh, okay. Okay. Yep. And then Monty, same thing. We might do Mirror Lake this weekend cool. instead of Monty. Okay. We're going to have two noobs. Mm-hmm. And Mirror Lake might be a better bet than Monty, then. Yeah, that's what uh, Claire was thinking. A little less mileage. And we'll have a guy on a triple, mm-hmm. not a noob. Okay. Uh, and, uh, yeah, the two noobs, one of them, I think, is still in and the bike's breaking. They both, or at least one for sure, bought their bikes brand new. Mm-hmm. They could get them cheaper that way than they could off used. Interesting. With the Ninja 500s. Oh. Previous years. Interesting. Yeah. That's they cool. got screaming deals. Mm-hmm. So oh. if you're a beginner biker looking for a beginner bike, check out the Ninja 500. Yes, look for Ninja 500s still on showroom floors. Yeah, because they don't make them now, right? They discontinued nope. that. No, yeah. They don't make them anymore. The 650 came and they're like, this is great. And then there's the 250, despite the fact that there really is a yawning gap there where the 500 fit nicely. Yeah. So they want to kick them out. Go and get them in their totally 80s styling. And then have this girl clean them. Hey, you know, I'm just staring at her while you're making that music i can almost see her dance could be a tranny she's got uh <laughs> <laughs> all right moving to our next ad <laughs> Ooh, yes now this is a bargain this beautiful showy motorcycle helmet has been sitting on the shelf and collecting dust literally a lot of dust it is in new condition and has both the tint and clear lenses it needs cleaned i hate that can it, i say that <laughs> i hate that form of friction. wait wait what's the next word it needs cleaned but is in absolute new condition no scratches just dusty this helmet has been sitting on that shelf i'm guessing since 1986 i Damn, dude, that is that is not a new. <laughs> there's so much dust on it. The well, clear visor almost looks well, like a mirror visor. Well, and then it gets better because there's there's the showy that's all gross, and then there's some like there's a Vetter helmet. Oh my god! But there's all these Two old, like yeah, there's all these old '80s helmets yeah. that are all dirty, and then there's a sink. I don't understand why is the sink there. I don't know, but what's the next thing? I don't know. I, I I'm baffled. What it's, is that? It's like a it's a it's a big metal sheet with like a black riveted circle-y thingy in it. You know, we should post taken that Taken in 2008. Up, and someone can tell someone us can what that is. We're looking at. Well, that one's taken in 2008, and the others are all taken in 2010. It's something that was removed and then set on a garage floor. 
Yeah, I can't figure this one out at it all. Almost looks like a, you know a gas tank. Could be. I. I why? But why is there a sink in all the old beater helmets? <laughs> I don't know. And why? If it. What are people in New Mexico smoking? I, I don't know, but they're smoking lots of it, man. So they've got. So he's selling the one helmet. Yes, but he's got pictures of other helmets and a sink in that thing. Uh, me, you know, maybe you know what this is. Have you been to New Mexico? Because I've been to New Mexico. One of the things that everyone has in New Mexico is piles of crap in front of their trailer <laughs> in the desert. Is... <laughs> and I think this is, you know, they can't even they can't even avoid doing that in pictures. So they go to take a picture of a helmet, but they're like, and I got this pile of crap too. <laughs> Sink and the... <laughs> let's just put this crap over here in this ad so that I have somewhere to put these pictures. This and Ford then... Pinto, <laughs> some cement blocks. <laughs> uh, yeah, and that, you know, the sink's not actually installed anywhere it looks like it's sitting on some siding yeah mm-hmm. and uh, 175 bucks for that beautiful helmet from yep. 1986 mm-hmm. oh god what must be living in it oh lord i don't know oh no oh, i hadn't even thought of that oh yeah. no mm. I, oh, I get it that stainless steel thing it's the top of a tank that contains all the corrosive chemicals you're going to need to clean that <laughs> helmet. helmet off. Yep. Okay. That's and make it, it devoid of all life. Yep. <laughs> yep. This was the box in 2008 that the helmet was sitting on. This is the sink in 2010 that I did not use to clean the helmet. <laughs> We're uh, New wow, Mexico. Man. And Char- hey, they, they've got a phone number and everything. So I think Charlie needs to go pick up that helmet. I think so. I think that, it's bargain that, of the century. Screaming his name. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. All right. And what, you know what would go with that helmet? I'm uh, thinking, uh, uh, you know what you need is you need some sort of motorcycle, and it should be like, um, I don't know, blue? Blue. If only we could find an ad for blue motorcycle. Yeah. $3,500. Chopper in Albuquerque. Hey, look at that. <laughs> I know this posting will be very vague, but I am selling this motorcycle for my stepfather. I have no information on this bike <laughs> other than that it's been sitting in the garage for years. Next to a showy helmet. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the bike actually has an equivalent amount of whitish dust on it. Exactly. I like the fact that it's actually like like there's there's a rope looped around the front wheel. <laughs> like someone is going to steal this. You know, there's so much dust on the gas tank that it looks mm-hmm. like a two-tone paint job. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't start and needs a lot of work. <laughs> No shit. Is that tire flat? Yeah, I probably. <laughs> Your best bet if you're interested, come in, buy and see it. As far as price and negotiating, deal with my dad since it's his. Feel free to email or text, blah, blah, blah. And please don't come with low-balling offers. <laughs> my dad is not that desperate to sell it. It's been sitting in the garage for years and will continue to stay there. Yeah, I predicted it will. Yeah, it's not going anywhere fast. So if I'm looking at it right, I think what you've got there is you've got a UJM engine that someone has chopped... You Somebody. know what that kind of reminds me of is my uh, my friend has been uh, kicking, kicking down a little cash to get me to help her son fix his bike, uh-huh. which uh, we bought from a desert junkyard, amusingly <laughs> enough, in southern Utah. Was it covered in dust and radioactive stuff? Uh, no, I think he had shoved the dust off of it. Oh, okay. That's nice. Of but, uh, you know, it was bought for about $300, so, you know, and it seemed good at the time the starter turned over. Lo and behold, it turns out that sitting in a desert for all that time, the metal on the bike... It's pristine. Everything metal on it is great. Amazing condition. Okay. Anything rubber or fuel oriented is completely knackered. <laughs> <laughs> so they're they're doing they're having some decision making right now about what's going to become of this bike. How far to go with it? Do, is it, it at this point? I got to be honest. It might be worth more to sell it to people for the metal parts, mm. which are becoming increasingly scarce because the metal parts are great. Okay. Well, they've been sitting where there's no humidity and exactly, yeah, there's no humidity and lots, you know, all that. So. Hey, you know, that's going to be uh, our wheel nerd Craigslist tip of the week. If you're mm-hmm. going to post pictures of the junk you're trying to sell, take a second to brush all the dust off. Good idea. <laughs> maybe wipe it. Maybe put it in the sink that's not connected to anything and blow real hard. Perhaps, perhaps wave a towel in its general direction. Yeah, something, folks. Because, <laughs> damn. I like the bucket. I think the bucket brings the whole picture together. There's a great big drywall bucket with something mysterious and pink all over it. Yeah, and there's and a rope looped over it, and there's that bed. Don't lowball it, folks. Cause... Don't lowball it, because there are things living in it you might be able to eat. <laughs> he's not willing to walk away from you. Or, I'm sorry, he's quite willing to walk away. Well, he'll have to walk away. He's not riding away. <laughs> I think we found the bike the Euro can beat. <laughs> Smoke that thing, dude. <laughs> like a cheap cigarette. <laughs> oh, my God. 
Uh, okay. Well, that's that's enough for our ads. We're going to post pictures up of uh, all the stuff we just talked about. All these lovely ads. I think I think the uh, the cleaning ad is still the big winner, though. Yeah, I out of the week, out of the possible century. <laughs> you sure you don't want this for your you know bachelor party present? What the hell would she clean? She could clean the strong. Have we had this discussion? We don't want her to leave quickly. We're going to sit in lawn chairs with beers. She's going to get tired and need like a nap and a meal. Well? Hey, are those cheeseburgers you guys are eating? I could use one of those. <laughs> Eat it slowly. <laughs> she eats it and gets all gross. Eat it sexy. Turns out she's the grossest eater in the world. She talks with her mouth full. Chews with her mouth open. <laughs> but she's like super hot in lingerie. I'm not sure it'd be a, a turn off. Okay, I fair think, enough. I think I could go with it. I can roll with that. All right. I'll just be like, slower. Slower. That's right. Now flip the burger. <laughs> now use this wet nap. <laughs> I got weird. Okay. than usual. So after sitting on front Chuck's front porch tonight for a while with his new tires to keep me company, <laughs> it's okay. It wasn't too cold and rainy. <laughs> You had the tires. They're, you know, Pirelli Scorpion Trails. What, what, what's your complaint? They're not very insulating. <laughs> Did you try? Did yes. you get in them? Yes, I got in the middle of them and danced around your yard, and your neighbors wait, threatened wait, wait, to call wait. the cops. Did you get in the middle of them, like put them around your waist, and yes. then roll down my driveway? Oh, my God. I completely <laughs> missed it. What was I thinking? <laughs> I, you even live on a street that's a hill. Yeah. I could have come up the street when you got home all dizzy. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. You got to try this. <laughs> it's good you did it because it's what we would have been doing all night. All night. <laughs> Wheel Nerds was ruined tonight due to tires. <laughs> I feel nauseous. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I did get the Pearly Scorpion Trails are sitting in the garage. Mm-hmm. But uh, I also got this Butler motorcycle map of Utah because what I discovered having a GPS on the bike while being very helpful from getting A to B mm-hmm. isn't so helpful for just saying, hey, let's go somewhere. Yeah, or go in this general direction or get there this way. GPS manufacturers, if you're listening... There's a new mode you need. It's called fart around. And not the Todd way of farting around because <laughs> this is a small room. Hey, we're on motorcycles. No one can tell. <laughs> it's one of the things I love about a motorcycle. That's why I don't like to ride behind you. <laughs> but, yeah, the, I, I like the idea a lot. It's uh, Yeah, I think it's been done before. I'll say that this map is, and this is coming from a complete map geek, mm-hmm. is a really nice quality map. It's got that nice kind of plasticized paper. Yep. It's nice and strong and relatively water resistant. Seems pretty durable. Mm-hmm. The map's uh, the map humongous. They've already picked out 20 odd good motorcycle rides yep. to just do it. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of them match up to uh, what Steve was uh, writing about in his book when he was talking mm-hmm. about the great rides in Utah. Yeah, the ones down to the south certainly are definitely in there. Yeah, so it's got the information on the rides, got information on towns, even it's got information on dirt roads that are adventure motorcycle appropriate so that we could take them out on, you know, the Buell, the Strom. So when I get that Rocket 3 Touring with a sidecar, I'll still be able to go on them. That's cool. <laughs> Where where will you not be able to go with a Rocket 3 with a sidecar? I mean, alley- I was about to say back in time, but I probably could do that. <laughs> alleyways. Yeah, really narrow alleyways. Cornrows. Footpaths. Footpaths. Cornrows are no problem. The sidecar will be nice and smooth, so I'll just put a little <laughs> ram on the front of it. And I'll, it'll be full of corn by the time we arrive. What are we having? Corn! <laughs> just have a scythe on the front. <laughs> farmer chasing you with a pitchfork come back with my corn (laughs) (laughs) just think of the takeoffs when we get on the highway though is that what you think about when you get the euro on the highway yes (laughs) as as roughly my god what would this be like if this could go fast (laughs) as a tear rolls down your cheek notice i say it's rolling down your cheek instead of being swept because there's not that much wind (laughs) yeah yeah that's true (laughs) what were we talking about the map the map so this map's pretty cool. I mean, it looks like the kind of thing you could just... I mean, it's huge. Mm-hmm. You could just look at it and be like, there, there, Let's there, 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 there. Let's check that Let's out. Let's do this. Let's do that. Mm-hmm. I bought this map from uh, Butler Motorcycle Maps. We didn't talk to them ahead of time. I'm hoping they'll send us a bunch of free maps if they ever hear this. Could happen. It'd be nice. We could always interview him. Yeah, we could. We'll get him on the interview. Maybe he'll send us a Do you like maps? Yes, we do. That's why we make them. <laughs> <laughs> Do you like maps? No. You like motorcycles? No. <laughs> do you what what do you money? 
Lots and lots of money. We prefer minivans. <laughs> we wanted to target a segment of dorks with a lot of disposable income. So Adventure we... bikes seemed like a win. <laughs> oh, God. I mean, hell, the wheel nerds ride those things. <laughs> Speaking of that, you see that thing uh, John posted on our Facebook? Oh, shoes? my God. The BMW Adventures. Shoes. Sneakers. Sneakers. <laughs> high tops. Adventure high tops. <laughs> Chuck Taylor Adventure. <laughs> I, I are those actually meant for riding? Um, well, you they kind of look like there's an f- increasing number of people I see around riding around on GSs in like shorts and topsiders and uh, <laughs> and you know like polo shirts. Now compared to a pair of topsiders with white socks, because that's how these guys roll. Yep, those are better. Okay. That's the best I can come up with. I, I guess that the, these shoes are the official point of where the adventure bike market has become the chopper market. It was at that point that things began going downhill. <laughs> I still want to know what the next craze is going to be. Where to go from there? Or? Yeah, where, what's now after adventure bikes? I think adventure bikes have jumped the shark. You think it's still going to be bikes? You think, or they might just go off bikes entirely? I mean, what? I, what, what else is? I mean, cafe racers? You know, the, the, could be. I mean, look at me. I'm a guy approaching forty, mm-hmm. and I'm like, you know, I think I need a vintage bike. So maybe the vintage maybe, style. Maybe bike. that's what we're gonna do. You're our. I'm the I'm the bird stick. in the mine. Yep. The canary in the mine shaft. We've checked near different bikes, and when he dies, that's the next trend. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look at the scrambler! <laughs> I think it's clear that the next trend in motorcycles is going to be '80s UJMs, <laughs> chopped, covered with dust. <laughs> Get in on it now, folks. That bike price is just going to go up. Get in on it now. I've got a lead on a really sweet Honda CB650 you could get for 1000 bucks. <laughs> They'd sell it in a heartbeat, I guarantee. Oh, I don't, know where, I don't know where it's going next. Yeah. I don't know. Mysterious. I'll be interested to see. Um, I'm still very much in the adventure bike audience. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm right there with you. Of course, then again, I, the trouble with the adventure bike is once you have one, it's hard to get anything else. Yeah. It's such in a... In extreme cases. Butler Motorcycle Map, it's pretty cool. I like it. You should check them out, too. They only have a few states available now. Check it out. We'll put a link on the site, and maybe we can get those guys on the show to talk about it. And that brings us to what we're going to talk about, hear about. We did an on-site interview today. Yes. Since everybody likes the on-site interviews. The one we've been trying to put together for some time now to solve our burning question. How many GSs is too many GSs? (laughs) It turns out the answer is four. (laughs) That's not my burning question. Oh, what's the burning question? What the hell with the test ride, dude? Yeah, yeah, why don't they... But, you know, as we got into this interview, then the question became, how many fucking GSs? <laughs> well, not four. Four would be too many. <laughs> four is too so, much. So, without further ado, let's go to Wheel Nerds on the Road. Our uh, interview with uh, Mike, you could tell. Uh, BMW Motorcycles uh, Utah, Triumph Motorcycles Utah, their website, utmoto.com. Uh, here we go. So, we're here with Mike, you could tell, who runs the Beamer dealership that we talk about going to all the time and drooling on the bikes. Stealing their bikes and going out on rides. That's it. Chandler, you're gonna have to push him out for a few minutes. Actually, no, that's not not the the world. You like it? All right. Uh, Well, we can we can use the. it sounds more authentic. There you go. <laughs> You're totally in a motorcycle. Well, and, and I got to tell you, that's what we're all about. I mean, authenticity. You know, it's uh, that is the key ingredient to success. I notice, I notice almost everyone here is rolling in on a bike. I'm not seeing any employee cars coming. In fact, the only reason I drove a car today is because my wife's transmission is going out, so she's like, "Have it fixed." Oh, <laughs> I'm so, sorry. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Trust me, me too. But yes, uh, we have a. Um, you know, it's it's very hard to get away with having employees in a bike dealership that do not ride. Yeah, uh, people spot it immediately. Oh, sure, yeah, because it's, who the hell are you? That's right. You know. That's right. And of course, it's hard to fake authenticity. Mm. It really is. Uh, some can, but uh, for the most part, you know, you actually have to be living that uh, to to you know portray that type of a, of an ethos, that type of an image. Uh, you know, I'm not saying we're rock stars, but we are riders. And we are proud to be riders, and it, it is a special feeling, uh, and it is a special feeling of community, and we cultivate that, very much so. Yeah, one thing we noticed last time we were here is you've got people coming in and leaving on rides from here. This is becoming your... Now, do you deliberately cultivate this? this is kind Absolutely. Of like departure Absolutely. Point for stuff? Well, sure. Sure. Uh, remember, we're talking about a, a very small community here. Good point. And the more we can make ourselves instrumental 
as a focal point uh, to activities, uh, to events, to rides, to gatherings, uh, the more we become important in that community. And remember, people buy bikes over their lifetime, over their career as a rider. So we are looking for a relationship that spans years. And even if I don't get you on this particular motorcycle this particular year, I still want to be your resource. Come to me, I know, I know about every brand out there. And I, I work very hard to stay abreast of everything that is going on, not just in the BMW and Triumph world, but in the motorcycle world at large. I know everybody in this industry, in this valley. So I bill myself as, you know, your motorcycle guy. Let me help you out. Oh, you're going to buy a Honda? I got the contacts. Maybe I'll get you on one of my bikes a couple years from now, but right now, let me help you to get what you want. And again, I find that to be both satisfying and good business. Cool. That's very cool. Yeah. Uh, wow. I'm sorry, there was a kickstand going off behind you. <laughs> we're just moving the bikes out. It is morning at the dealership. We're surrounded by bike nirvana. Well, yeah. and it's funny because you're, you are witnessing the, the one true... Sisyphean task here at the dealership, and that is moving the bikes out in the morning and bringing them back in at night. Yeah, notice nobody ever just wheels them out, like it sits them out, spins them around the parking lot, and then parks Indeed, them. We, we, we say that the bike needs to be ridden a little bit to keep it fresh. I think they're sure. just having a good time. What I like is when they keep the front wheel on the ground, though. <laughs> you know, it actually kind of goes to a, a really interesting point and experience we had a lot. In, in the valley with different dealerships, um, seeing some dealers who are really open to letting us go on test rides, letting us get on the bikes, and other dealers are like, no, don't. We, we want to keep the miles down, it, it depreciates our bikes, we can't afford it. And it's, we can't really figure out why there's such different views. That's interesting, uh, and I, I think that very much you are accurate that that indeed obtains. There is very much the, the difference between dealerships on their policies. One of the uh, difficulties is you have some manufacturers who do not have a vigorous demonstrator program mm. uh, and therefore their dealers have a hard time actually putting you on a ride. I still think that's no excuse. However, somebody like Triumph and BMW, we have, a, we have an actual apparatus to get demonstrators from these companies that, that have miles to be put on them before I can even sell them. So in that respect, uh, and I will tell you something else, this is also very much the way that we are. Being riders, first and foremost, you know, you've got, uh, you've got a sense that how could I possibly ask you to pay for a motorcycle that is not spoken to you during a test ride? I mean, these are very, very personal purchases. Uh, there is such a wide variety of motorcycles out there, so many different kinds with so many different purposes, so many different utilities that it's crucial that you get on the bike. So you've got, you've got a manufacturer attitude, although most manufacturers do make it easy for their dealer network to put you on a demo ride. Hmm. You've got a lot of, of, let me put it to you this way, <laughs> you've got a lot of old school dealers out there who, for one reason or another, have been scarred by, listen, we get it too. You get a couple of guys who walk in there and they're like, you know, oh, we'd like to test ride your S1000RR, the new BMW Superbike. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you're looking at them, and you're, you're thinking about buying one, you know. And 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 you know, there's there's those people out there who really are not. They're looking for a fun Saturday afternoon activity. Again, that doesn't really bend me out of shape. Uh, that does sound like a fun Saturday activity to me. And frankly, if I've got the availability, nobody needs the ride. Sure, take the bike. What do I care? You're a rider. You're licensed. You're not in the market right now. If I treat you right, you might be in the market later, and you'll come back to me. But I will tell you this, I am being somewhat presumptuous when I say this, but the advice that I give to my clientele is any dealer that does not allow a test ride should not have your business. I mean, come on, you can drop five figures plus without trying it first? It's not a <laughs> yeah. pair of socks. I mean, you know, I mean, so again, and I, and I do see that. Uh, so I will say that ultimately it's a combination of, of bad experiences, fear, of somebody hurting your motorcycle mm -hmm. and you know a manufacturer attitude that does not make it easy for some of these dealers to do that uh, our attitude here very much is the demo rides and all of the bad things that can happen with demo rides are part and parcel of what we do so if the bike gets tipped over we have you know, business. Right, absolutely right 
absolutely right, and I cannot see how to do it any other way. I'll, I won't bore you much further, but I will tell you this. Interestingly enough, when we had Husqvarna here, which we have subsequently given back to the manufacturer, too many problems getting parts. It was a low-volume business, low-margin business, but it angered a lot of people, and they looked at you know, their anger was directed at, at BMW, not at you know Husqvarna in per se. So we ended up returning that brand. However, think about this. When that first came in, I'm looking at a line of dirt bikes that don't get test-ridden. You know, was, yeah. dirt bikes tend to not get test-ridden, which is weird to me and was interesting to try to combat as far as a sales technique when you couldn't have somebody try the bike. I mean, well, let me describe it to you, man. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, yeah, it's you don't want them to do donuts on the, the lawn. Exactly, and and dirt bikes are not. You know, right? Most of them are. Some of them are not street legal. So where are they going to go? Yeah, you know, you, you can't really rally them in the desert and then hope to sell it as a new bike, etc. So again, you've got an issue there. No longer my problem since we've given them that. But that was a very, very interesting conundrum for us to try to figure out how to get around and be effective without actually letting somebody try the product. And remember, you know, salespeople in general are, are basically lazy. You know, if, 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 if we can figure out something that will cut our gab in half and get you to buy, we want it. And these bikes are so wonderful that indeed the test ride does half our job for us. Butts and seats. Yeah. Absolutely right. That's well why those put. other guys didn't want to talk to us. It's just it's too much work. Yeah. There you go. There you go. Oh, it's you. Well, and remember, we're easily distracted as well. You're shiny. You know, we're all of a sudden we're on another tangent. So, again, not the brightest bulbs on the planet, but uh, we like what we do. <laughs> So that brings up an interesting question with the Husqvarna thing. So, um, running a, deal, a lot of dealerships, and I guess Harley makes everybody give, you won't sell Harley, you only sell Harley, but you see a big difference in some dealerships will sell just everything under the sun, some will sell a few select ones, some will sell just the one. What, what do you, how do you feel like that happens? That's interesting, uh, and it's a good question. Manufacturers would always prefer you like Harley to be a single line dealer. Sure. So, you know, BMW's fantasy is that we are only a BMW dealership. <laughs> Harley-Davidson gets away with that and can get away with that very much so, remember, because their number one stream of income is their apparel. Right. So no, no disrespect to Harley. Remember, I'm, I'm a patriot. But I will tell you this. Harley's primary business is manufacturing clothing. Sure, you go into their stores and more than half the store is clothing. Well, and, and, and it is, like I said, forget just the space. It is their number one, fiscally, it's their number one stream of revenue. So they, they make way more on their T-shirts and their stickers than they do on the motorcycles. Hmm. Their number two stream of revenue is their finance wing. So Harley-Davidson is first and foremost a clothing company with a bank attached to it that makes a few motorcycles on the side. <laughs> I mean, that is, that is, well, listen, but it worked for them. Well, I sure. think the Vegas Harley store did 30 million in t-shirts in 09. 30 million in t-shirts. You know how many t-shirts? It's got to be 100 million plus. I mean, it's a lot. It, yeah, I, I remember a lot of guys would rather have a Harley t-shirt than a Harley. <laughs> it's, a lot, it's cheaper. It's and, cheap. and it's a lot cheaper and easier to maintain. That's correct. The wife will allow that. And, and, and that's right. And the boss will say yes to it. Exactly yeah. right. <laughs> uh, but, but once again, so they can get away with that because, remember, their single-line stores are generating a tremendous amount of income on their apparel. Had they had to survive only on the motorcycles... I guarantee you that the dealer network would, would, would revolt mm -hmm. and that there would be multi-line stores there. Uh, with BMW, it is just too small a market share. Mm -hmm. I mean, what, what are we, 5.9, 8.9% of the overall American market? Triumph is half that. Mm -hmm. So again, for us, I just don't think that the volume exists. And remember also that corporate, I mean, look at the Harley stores, look at the BMW stores. We are a corporate presence. This carpet that I'm pointing at right now was dictated to us to buy. Right? The look of this building was dictated to us to buy. The signage dictated to us to buy. So in other words, we spend a lot of coin putting up a presence that we might not have spent the money on if it were totally up to us. Ultimately, we have to pay for those things. And I was, you know, it's a, I was once at a dealer meeting back in New York, I think it was in 05, for BMW corporate, for the motorcycle wing, where, you know, where they get us together once a year to tell us the plans for the future, how we did last year. 
and we're talking about margins. We have a very small margin. You got guys come in here and they say, "Oh, you know, I'd like twenty five hundred off on the bike," and it's like, "I'd like twenty five hundred on the bike." <laughs> you know, I give that to you. I'm 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 a fifteen hundred dollar loser, and people don't believe you, but it's true. We have very very narrow margins. Uh, you know, we, we try to make our money when we sell you a jacket, maybe a helmet, get you in service. Oh, absolutely. It works the same way in the outdoor industry. A pair of skis has got rubbish margins. That's right. Bindings, jacket, pants. And, and that's exactly right. We are putting a butt into a saddle to try to create a customer for the future in our parts and service businesses. Sure. Uh, and again, there is value to that. But once again, we look at it and we say to ourselves, okay, how few motorcycles can we really sell and still keep the doors open? And we say, what is the potential for any given smaller brand? Yeah, BMW, you know, they sell so many bikes in this valley. And we do particularly well. I think we ended 010 as number four in the country. That's a 221 dealers in Little Rinky Dink Salt Lake. We were number four. <laughs> so we sell a lot of bikes out here. We're pretty effective. But again, it's a big facility, as you see. I mean, we, we need to have motorcycles going out the door vigorously. Mm -hmm. Triumph is a good compliment, complimentary brand. Triumph aggressively targets BMW dealers. Hmm. So in that respect, oh, thank you so much. <laughs> Another satisfied customer handing me a title. <laughs> and this, this is a customer who actually, his wife came in. She owns a bike. She saw another bike, a little bit newer than she wanted. We took her bike in trade, sold her a new bike, made it very, very easy for her to do that. And that's what we're all about. Make it easy to spend money. Sure. And again, you have a lot of dealers that are not particularly happy about the whole prospect of trade. Mm. We love it. We have a vigorous used bike inventory. And the key there, of course, is remember, a lot of times you see motorcycle dealers who are reluctant to take a trade because ultimately they look at the trade as a liability. In other words... It's not their brand. It's not their particular line. They're looking at it and they say, well, I've got to be in this bike right enough so that there's no danger to me. I want to be able to make a great deal of money on it, et cetera, et cetera. We don't look at it that way. We look at the trade as the facilitator for the bike deal itself. In other words, you come in here with your trade looking at a new bike. I am far more interested in selling that new bike than I'm worried about what I'm going to do with your trade. Furthermore, with that attitude... I don't have to make a home run on the trade. So in other words, I can give you a number that is close enough to your retail number that you would sell it yourself for, that I'm going to entice you to do business with me. I get rid of the trade, make three, four, five hundred dollars Fine. Fine. Because I did not look at the trade as a means to its own end. I looked at it as the facilitator to the new bike deal. Now, can I make some money on trades? Sure. But I'm not looking to make a home run on it. What does this allow me to do? It allows me to take in a vast amount of trades and sell a vast amount of new bikes because I'm willing to take a lower cut on your trading. I'm willing to make it more enticing to you. He wants your euro. <laughs> Might pay for sale. <laughs> once, once it stops, good again. <laughs> and yeah, I'll take them all. I'll tell you, I mean, my goodness, I took in a Buell just the other day. Now that's hey, risky. Hey, hey. <laughs> Hey, hey. <laughs> and I'll take yours in, too. <laughs> the bill's not up for grabs. <laughs> oh, there we go, yes. The other thing else is. Future classic. The, uh, <laughs> the Suzuki M50 that you used to have that I'm taking, that's kind of up for grabs again. Is so, it really? Yeah, I'm thinking I want like a, a, like a scrambler or a, a Yeah. I've got, such, I've, got, I've got two scramblers left, and I, I, it's practically a giveaway. So you let me the know. The show is very expensive for you. I know. <laughs> this is why my wife won't listen. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I, uh, when we first opened in, uh, in June of 2009, a couple months after we opened, I bought myself a bike. And after that, I bought uh, uh, our 1200GS Adventure, big, big Enduro. Mm -hmm. And a couple months after that, I bought myself the, the smaller version of that bike, still the 1200, but the regular GS. Sure. One for longer distances and touring, the other for more commuting. And I, I, can, I can sense the conversation that's coming. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's interesting because I'll, that's not the gist of the story, although that is a story in and of itself. But I come in about two months after that, and I start contracting myself on a second GS. And everybody here has a puzzled look on their face. What are you doing? As said, I'm, I'm buying a, another GS. But, Mike, you already own a GS, and you have a GS Adventure. Uh-huh. So what are you doing? Why are you getting another GS? I turned to him and I said, 
because my wife said I could. <laughs> and of course, I, there was no other bike at the time that I really wanted. But I'm certainly not going to pass up permission from the boss. <laughs> I mean, that sounds like a future trade-in to me. <laughs> yeah, you, you get so, a GS. That's like. Uh, well, and you're talking about one of the strongest reselling motorcycles in the country today. Exactly. What, twenty-five hundred to five grand over retail book? <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah, try finding one online. Well, that's right, and that's <laughs> very much the point. That is very much the point. And yet again, talking about that kind of value, well, it takes us right back to the trading conversation. Absolutely, you know, these are, they're a product out there that we are just hungry to have, hungry to have. So again, we think that that's a nice rounded approach. And we think that ultimately our main goal is to have you become a customer of ours. Whether I do that at $500 or $300 is unimportant to me. What is important is that you are now my customer. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned that, you know, um, you stopped carrying Husqvarna. And they're, they're starting working on their, their own street bikes now, right? They are. Um, Where do you see that going? I mean, I don't know. I think that, that the economic difficulties in the country right now make any new foray into any industry uh, uh, an uphill road. Uh, so I, I think that I, you know, I, I have to caution them. Remember also that when BMW bought Husqvarna three years ago, yeah. We all assumed that there was going to be a better flow of parts, more support from the corporation, etc., etc. None of that really happened. Now, remember, I don't know what's going on right now. We've been out of Husqvarna for about nine months. But none of that really happened. Uh, beyond that, we, um, we need to see a very, very powerful marketing push when it comes to dirt bikes. Mm. Look at KTM. I mean, they're, they're, they dominate because they're everywhere. They're winning all the races. They have a giant amount of corporate support. They're at every event with a huge presence. And again, this was the type of thing where you see Husqvarna doing it, but not to that extent. They're dipping their toe in here. They're dipping their toe in there. What do I think about their street bikes when they ultimately come out? I mean, listen, I rode their, their 620 SM, or yeah, 600, 620 SM, which I thought was 610, which I thought was a screen. Absolute scream, handled like the devil. I mean, they're good bikes and they're quality manufactured. Don't get me wrong, build quality is excellent. But, but <laughs> you're breaking into a very, very tough market right now. I mean, look at look at the Japanese brands. You had what? Suzuki did not put out an O10. Nope. They skipped the model year, correct? My goodness. I mean, that's, think about that. Think about that. Think about Toyota not putting out an O10. Come on. So that's pretty significant. I think that they have an uphill road. I really do. And I wish them nothing but the best. And my goodness, they're, they're, you know, they're owned by BMW. I certainly wish them nothing but the best. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, their new street bike has a BMW motor in it, right? Well, and remember also that I sold it recently, but you, you, the old G450X, which was the, the stopped in 010, which was BMW's dirt bike, yeah. with a three-year, 36,000-mile warranty, etc., etc. How unheard of is that? You know, the real point here is that bike is now going to look exactly like the Husqvarna 450 in 2012. <laughs> However, you're going to have what? The one-year warranty on it. So, yes, you're right. You've got a lot of bleed in the technology there. Uh, it's going both ways. You're right. Um, but remember, much more so from BMW to Husky because BMW is essentially seeding the dirt to Husqvarna to that wing. As is evidenced by the fact that they gave up that 450, which is one of the best dirt bikes ever made, truly. Which is why you're seeing most of that technology being transferred directly into the new Husqvarna. BM story more concentrating on their oh, absolutely. Their street well, much like they did back in '98 when they when they tried to compete with Harley in the cruiser market and put out the 12C, 61 horsepower bike was a dog and did not do particularly well. Same thing here. You know, they make a foray into the, into the true dirt world because, you know, as, as, as the Paris-Dakar down in South America becomes a smaller and smaller bore race with smaller and smaller engine sizes, mm -hmm. you know, again, their big Enduros were no longer... The thing to have. Of yeah. course. Yeah. So, again, they, they, they dipped their toe into that, but what they really discovered is that it's a difficult market and it's a small market, mm. whereas they do a tremendous amount of business, whether they're racing them or not, on the bigger GSs, whether it's the 800 or the 1200. Do a tremendous amount of business. There's just no reason to go elsewhere. All right, so you said you're riding a GS now. Got anything else in the stable? 
I have the three GSs. I just I have an F eight hundred. Back up. Could you say that, say that again? again? I have the three twelve hundred GSs. <laughs> well, we don't give back. We augment, right? Sure, sure. <laughs> We're not looking to trade in. So I've got I've got the uh, I've got the two regular GSs and the GS Adventure for some of my longer trips. Um, I just sold uh, my my salesman uh, Ren sitting over there. I just sold him my F eight hundred, which was a Scream, but far more suited for, for off-road. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a true 50-50 bike, and Ren does a lot more of that kind of riding. And I just sold my uh, S1000RR, my, my sport bike, uh, because basically track season is over for me. So uh, that bike is just the cat's meow. <laughs> but I'm getting a little old to commute on it. <laughs> so, and I certainly don't want to lose my license. Hard to keep that thing under a buck 20. So. Cool. Truly Jesus. <laughs> That's it. I can, I can hear... My fiance, no. <laughs> well, I told know, her how much I like the speed triple, and she just looks at me and goes, "No." No, that's right. Yeah, it didn't really even hear what you had said. Just knew yeah, it was related to bikes. and said, "No, absolutely." You know, it's it's funny because um, every now and then I get the customer walks in and says, "You know, my my wife says to me they're looking at a second bike or a third bike." Mm-hmm. And my wife says to me, "Whoa, what do you need a second or third for? I mean, you can only ride one at a time." I gotta tell you, you know. It just would never fly with me. That's I mean, my wife ever said that to me, I'd be like, sweetheart, you can only wear one pair of shoes at a time, but you've got 472 pairs sitting in the closet. <laughs> so I'm not sure that that logic holds. <laughs> I challenge anybody to make me think that. In any case, yeah, um, right now the stable is only GSs. But, you know, I have one of the, one of the few true perks of working That's in an so industry sad. where you work very hard and make very little money mm. uh, because this is a passion industry. Um, one of the true perks is that you know you're able to flip bikes at a fairly reasonable outlook. Uh, you know, one of the one of the things that we're always trying to obtain here is you find a nice piece that comes in where there's enough money on it, there's enough incentive on it, whatever it may be, that you could actually ride the thing for a couple of years, get rid of it, and essentially have ridden it basically for free. Uh, that doesn't usually work for me because I like to accessorize my bikes. Um, and you don't get. They're much never free, right? <laughs> yeah, well, well, but what is? <laughs> and uh, and uh, you know, it's it's the type of thing where, you know, for me, I have to keep them a little longer, only because I've I've personalized them so greatly, I'm just not going to get my money out of them. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't bother me at all. I like riding my bikes. And I like having them for a while. I I'm not I'm not the kind of guy who needs one new one every year. It doesn't bother me to have the same one for several years. They, listen, these are GSs. They become part of your family. I mean, I'm not, no, I'm not, sometimes I'll go to take a trade in a GS, you know, a guy comes in for a new GS, he's got an old GS sitting out front, I'm like, so you're going to give me that as your trade? Oh, no. I'm like, what do you mean, no? You're buying a new one. Oh, no, no, this is the one, I, you know, me and this bike did Costa Rica together, and there was that time. It's like, it's not your girlfriend, dude. I, you know, let me have it. No. Part of the family, too many good experiences on it, they don't want to give it up, which is remarkable to me, but kind of nifty. <laughs> Okay, Mike, I've got a personal problem, and I need you to help me. You're a dealer. Yeah. Okay. First one's always free. (laughs) That's not my problem. My problem is I go into any dealer, and I give off the dirtbag effect where I'm ignored. I've had a hard time in here sometimes where there's something about me that just screams. No, I think that you're mistaken. I don't think it's you. So what I think it you're, you're... It's not the Buell. No, no, it's certainly not the Buell. No, most of us don't even see that outside. No. What it really is is it's the lack of professionalism and organization in the industry itself. Okay, period. It's not your fault. It's our fault. It is our fault. Look, I have been in... One of the, one of the things that, that was most impressive to me as far as shaping my own philosophy of how to run a dealership is that I had a similar experience, and it, again, I don't consider myself the dirtbag. I don't consider you the dirtbag. I'm looking at he you does. right now. You're, you're, you're probably, you know, I mean, my goodness. In any case, the point, the, the point is, is that, is that what you really have is you have this, this sense of I'm too cool for you, this sense of, you know, I'm doing you a favor by helping you out to make a decision on a bike or a piece of gear or whatnot. Uh, I don't understand it fully, so if you're, if you're looking to me for the explanation, the only thing I can say is you've got low-paid guys who are riders who think they're cool, and they think they're cooler than you, <laughs> and they want to let you know that. Um, as far as the logic of it, well, it's insane to me. 
I mean, it's the antithesis of good business. You know, you want everybody to feel welcome. You want everybody to feel like you are available to them seriously to answer any of their questions or to help to, to guide them in whatever decision they need to make. And again, I will say this, and I say this to my customers all the time. If there is any treatment here that was not top-notch, the reason for that is strictly disorganization. There's no malice to it. There's no, in other words, you come in here and you get welcomed, welcomed at the door. That's the way it should have been. You walk in here and you walk around for five minutes where nobody says anything to you, that is a mistake. That is not the way we are. That is us being incompetent. At other dealerships, I think it's the philosophy. So I'm going to make a distinction between ourselves and these other places. That kind of attitude at these other places is in fact deliberate. They're cooler than you are. They're doing you a favor helping you out. They're doing you a favor taking your money. I see that all the time and so do my customers. And I can't believe it. I can't believe anybody does business that way. I can't believe they actually make a sale. Here, we actually try to give you an experience that feels like you're being taken care of. We are very solicitous. We want to listen. We want to help. We want to bend over backwards to make an aggressive deal. We want to serve you. I, I mean, listen, I, I detail customers' bikes all the time because there's nobody available to do so. Well, I'm not too proud to do that. You can let me do this. It's not my job. We don't have that attitude here. We're bikers. We do what is necessary to get it done and to make you feel good. And I think that it's interesting that you point that out. But let me assure you, it's not you. It's us. <laughs> and I was just thinking I'm not cool. <laughs> no, no. You just heard wearing a sign that says you're not cooler than me. <laughs> Maybe that'll work. That's not bad. <laughs> Maybe we should put one up at the front door that says we're not cooler than you. Come on in. <laughs> be our, our next Real Nerd t-shirt. Yep, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> We might sell as many as three. <laughs> We're not quite at the Harley Davidson level of t-shirts. Not though. quite. Not quite. Well, we're not really pushing those numbers. <laughs> pushing that kind of volume. No. Oh, goodness. So that's cool. You find your customers really respond to that, though? Absolutely. Sounds like. Absolutely. We get, we get a, lot of, a lot of positive feedback. Mm -hmm. We get very little negative feedback almost two and a half years into the business. Uh, we, are, um, we are actually... Uh, almost bereft of negative commentary out there on the web. Cool. Uh, which is, and, and don't get me wrong, I'm waiting for it. I mean, you, 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 oh, there's you, always Well, come on, you handle enough people, there's going to be displeased customers. But I will tell you, we are also extremely aggressive in our damage control. So in other words, customer calls us up and they've got an issue. I don't really even care if it's an unreasonable issue. I don't really even care. In other words, you have a lot of dealers where guy gets off the phone with a heater, and that's, that's industry parlance for an angry guy, a heater, he's, he's heated, okay, we get off the phone, you get a lot of people, get off the phone with a heater, it's like, that guy was just wrong, it's like, well, that's not the point, guys, it's not the point that he was wrong, it's not the point that he was upset by something that might have been inaccurate, or that might not have been your fault, I mean, I had one gentleman who was very upset because I couldn't get him a windscreen because it was not manufactured in a timely way by the manufacturer, but he was angry at us. Now, here's the point. I had no control over it. I was not manufacturing the piece. Does it mean that I abdicate my, abdicate my responsibility to make it right? Of course not. He's my customer, even though the old saying, right, wasn't my fault, but it is my problem. Right? I mean, that's the way you have to look at it. It's not my fault, but it's my problem. So I solved it. I made the guy feel good at my expense, even though the fault was not my own. Why would I not do that? Why would I not spend my goodwill dollars cultivating that kind of a feel-good response from my clientele, especially the angry ones? So we spend a tremendous amount of money bribing our angry customers into being unangry. That, to me, is just good business. I've got a customer that we have neglected in some way inadvertently. My goodness, that was a mistake. Come in. Let me do something for you that makes you feel pleased. So that I turn this negative experience not into a neutral experience, but into an actual positive experience. Wow, I'm glad I got neglected. Because ultimately, they took care of me so well afterwards that it all worked out beautifully. You've got a happier guy because of it. And you know the old, I think it's the old Japanese saying, if I'm not mistaken, if something is inevitable, hesitation is forever folly. You get these guys who are like, you know, oh, you know, I, I, you know, this guy wants this from me. I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. You make the guy aware so heavily that you don't want to do it, and finally you cave in and you do it. What'd you get for that? Nothing. 
you did the thing for the guy, except you made it so onerous and difficult and so unpleasant that he still got the bad taste in his mouth, but you had to pay to do it anyway. Better the first time. Yes, sir. Get that for you right now. Smile on your face. If you're doing it anyway, do it the first time. Don't. So clearly 4DSs would be complete overkill. <laughs> so, so Mike is essentially the motorcycling equivalent of Goldilocks. Yeah, yeah. One one gets that impression with the golden pigtails and the blue blue and white dress and the. That's that's how he looked, folks. I'm not making this up. <laughs> Actually, the thing I thought that was really fun about <laughs> interviewing Mike was he didn't he wasn't wearing like you know the the uncomfortable tie or like the shirt that's like the the my dealership X shirt. Right, no polo shirt. He was just like in the kind of stuff that you just like wear in if you were wearing it under a motorcycle suit. He looks like he literally walked out of. 60s biker movie. He still had the bandana around his neck. I think he might actually have. That's the thing. <laughs> it could be. I, and that's... There's a bunch of... Have you noticed lately at BMW there? Mm-hmm. A bunch of those guys kind of cultivate that look. Yeah. I picked up on that when I was there for the uh, the K-Test ride. Maybe the vintage is the new thing. The vintage it is could the next be. thing. He almost got me talked in. I started looking at scramblers today. Yeah. <laughs> Every one of these we do is increasingly dangerous for you. Yeah. Especially at a dealership like that where they actually, you know, treat you like a person. Yeah, and they'll do a trade-in. I loved how passionate he was about it. Like, oh I really... I, I The thing I've been suspecting all along that, like... If you want to do real good business, you take good care of the customers, which, you know, for anyone who's in customer service is like, duh. Yeah. That uh, he really reinforced it. And he was, he was, I wish you guys could have seen it because he was about halfway over the desk at the very end there when he was talking about serving the customers. He was, he was he excited. Was adamant about that. Yes. Very passionate and very much different than the, um, the other model of what you see in these motorcycle dealerships of the giant vending machine. Yep. The big commoditized ones. Yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely like his approach better. Mm-hmm. Totally. I'm, I think I might ride down there with the M50 and mm-hmm. give it back mm-hmm. to them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hi, I want to try the Rocket 3 Touring and see if it'll be a worthy pusher. Not that I can afford it, but... <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, this is a cool bike. Thanks. Later. <laughs> <laughs> and this, folks, is why they don't do test drives. <laughs> and the other, the other big thing in my mind is I've got Mike right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know. I, totally. I mean, how much better... Could it be? I mean, the dude just seems. On Oops! Top there's of a problem. That. Boom! Solved. And the people we know that go to that dealership regularly as customers. Yep. They, they all seem to happy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like really, they all come out with those dreamy smiles. Remember the one dude that uh, was there? Was like, hey, can I get a loaner? Can you imagine saying that at Honda? <laughs> can I get a loaner? <laughs> I don't know. A what? Uh, <laughs> Hello. Dear. Well, Honda's service department, God, I was, I was during the it was the screw incident with the V-Strom. I went in there thinking it was something, you know, that I was really royally bollocked up. And uh, the guy was like, oh, okay. It was, like, it was like an inconvenience for him to even schedule me for something. He's like, I see you were messing around in there. I was like, no, I was adjusting the fucking balance the same as I've done a hundred times before because it has to be balanced constantly <laughs> because the strum is a bastard like that. Right. Um, yeah, and they were just they were just annoyed even to have to schedule me for something. Like, they were like, don't you have a dirt bike that needs its oil changed or something? <laughs> well, it's, it's like Mike was saying. They thought they were cooler than you. Yeah, yeah. there it is. Look for the Wheel Nerds shirt. <laughs> You're not cooler than me. <laughs> We'll have a dealer version too. I'm not cooler than you. <laughs> we should do a version that's like you know upside down so that you can read it. <laughs> I'm cooler than them. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be like the self affirmation before you go walking into the dealer. <laughs> oh man, we've got some reader mail this week. Well, we have a test ride. Even better, a, a te- test ride, not by us. No, not by us. Even better. It's by a Swiss chick. It's our friend Franca from Switzerland. The cool thing, the cool thing it sounds like is BMW has even bigger, awesomer demo events over there where you can take the bikes out and flog them. Oh, yeah. The, the, this, well, well, tell you what. Rather than describing everything she says, let's have a listen. Yep. Hi. This is Franca from Switzerland, and this is my contribution to the Wheel Nerds Disorganized Unpaid Correspondent Program. Hearing how you are on your knees to get test rides in the U.S., I'll make you feel a little worse by telling you on how it works in Europe. You walk into a shop, you say, oh, can I ride that bike? 
and off you go. Last weekend, I went to an event called Test Rides by BMW. And although you have to pay for it, it's really worth every cent. It goes like this. BMW trucks about 50 of their coolest bikes to a racetrack and you get to ride them all. The last time I did this, I chickened out and took the F800R, thinking that this was just about enough for me to handle on a racetrack. But then again, there they all are, the shiny S1000RR and HP2s and everything, and yeah, wouldn't it be a shame not to try them? And I thought, if I totally fuck it up, I still have the ladies' bonus, and people are going to think I'm cool anyway just for trying. Yeah, I mean, imagine the crowd at an event like this. You have all these hyper-cool wannabe racers with their knee pads and racing gear and tire warmers. And me. So I took the S1000RR. The first comparison that came to my mind was trying to cut something complicated with your mother's blunt kitchen knife versus a scalpel. And being a veterinarian, I know what I'm talking about when it comes to knives. Yeah, you want the scalpel. That thing is so incredibly precise. It feedbacks every single mistake you make right back to you. Not that that is going to make you feel any, any better about your riding abilities. But at the same time, it is also a very reassuring bike, given its extreme stability in virtually all situations. And the acceleration you get, it is addictive. Even in the rain mode, it's extreme. And it's got that cool thing. It's got a shifting automat. So you don't have to use your clutch. Basically what you do is you hit full acceleration and you just kick through the gears and you don't have to use your clutch. <laughs> and I mean, thundering towards the next turn at 150 miles per hour is really cool. Although I have to admit that I have no clue where to start braking at that kind of speed. But then again... The bike makes up for that with its massive brakes. It is easy to get a good feeling for the brakes, and at the time, at the same time, they're really extremely efficient. So if you want that thing to stop, it will immediately. The position that you have on the bike is ideal for a racetrack. It gives you a lot of freedom to move around. Um, you can hang from its side and still feel connected and more in the bike rather than on it. And on the other hand, if you imagine sitting on it for three hours, it will kill you. What else? You have a lot of electronics on it. And you get so many assistants that you might actually fool yourself into thinking you're a great rider. You have that DTC traction control thing that prevents the rear wheel from overtaking you and also from doing backflips. You have a shift light that will indicate when it would be ideal to shift into the next higher gear. And then, of course, you have the four different modes. You have a rain mode, a sport mode, a race mode, and a slick mode. So you can also always adapt those different modes to the current situation. So it is a lot of fun riding it. And I thought about, well, for whom is that bike? And it really only makes sense on race tracks. It is not comfortable for long rides. You don't have any space for baggage. You don't have space for passengers, really. But that bike is a dream on the tracks because it's precise, it's pretty safe, and it's just so much fun. That was all from Switzerland. Have fun. Bye. Well, thanks, Franca. That was great. Well, I think she mentioned once in the email to us that she listens to it where her coworkers can hear. <laughs> oh, no, she listens to it and her coworkers can't figure out why she's laughing so hard. She tells them it's a motorcycle podcast and they all look at her like she's from Mars. Well, she's listening to Americans, which automatically means there's something wrong with her. Well, just like British people always sound like they're like, oh, yes, the Discovery Channel, la da da. I'm going to tell you about this thing and you'll believe anything I say because I'm talking in this British accent. Charlie? Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he talks. He talks in a serious tone of voice, and like everything is like like rote. It's like like gospel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Americans talk anytime, and it's like comedy all the time. <laughs> like I, I'm seconds away from a pie in the face at any moment, speaking an American accent. 
That's my theory, anyway. It would explain a lot about why they look at us the way they do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so re- reader mail. We've got... Yep. You want to start out with a letter from Patrick here? Sure, I got a letter from Patrick, one of my students. So, Patrick here, a gentleman of a certain age who took the MSF Basic Rider course a couple weekends ago. You and Warren co-taught. Great class, by the way. We're sitting on the trailer ramp at Murray High and talked a bit about your podcast. I said I'd check it out, and I did. I enjoyed it. You guys are good, and I hope your listenership continues to grow. I know I'll continue to listen. Yay! My goal was to go big. I was going to upgrade from a buddy 125 to a 250cc motorcycle. Whoa. Easy there, Tiger. (laughs) Not having ridden a motorcycle in my younger days, I felt that I wanted to start out on a beginner's bike. Plus, my wife asked me to promise that I would stay with the 250cc max. I'm fine with that size, as I'm probably just a notch above that personality type that I believe is characterized in your rider hierarchy as... The minivan driver. <laughs> <laughs> Patrick actually did really well in the class. He's one of those people that went from zero to kicking butt. Cool. So a week ago, I bought a brand new Suzuki TU250. Lucky bastard. Those are great. And I am really happy with it and glad I made the purchase. If you're ever casting about for an idea for a show, maybe there are a few other not-so-badass riders or potential riders out there who might appreciate some more info on beginner-type stuff. Although what beginner-type stuff might be, I don't exactly know. So a TU or a Ninja? TU250 is really sexy. It looks vintage like you're looking for it. Um, It's fuel-injected. It's a fuel-injected 250 with modern brakes. So the pictures are pretty good, but they don't do the bike justice to what it is in person. This one, like, everyone gravitates toward it. The women, especially, Mm -hmm. go straight for this thing. And anyone who's into vintage bikes goes straight for this thing because it just looks awesome. Mm. But uh, Patrick... I am not surprised. Is very happy on these TUs. These things rock. This bike, the milk crate on the back seat. I'm digging it. Yeah, that's my. Every time I see this bike, I'm like, that thing needs a milk crate in the worst kind of way. Two milk. Talk crates. about talk about low budget, <laughs> low budget luggage that works. Yeah, milk crate. That's pretty cool. I like it. Yeah, I, I, these are these are fantastic bikes. Last year, you could not get these for love or money. You would have to fist fight people to buy them in the dealerships. They were going that fast. Really? Yeah. How, how do they hold their value used-wise? I don't really know. They haven't been around long enough to really know for sure. But, I mean, in terms of if you're looking for a really, really cool beginner bike that just looks awesome, rides – I mean, this thing rides beautifully. Just amazing. Ride. Yeah, I know nothing about this bike. How long has it been around? Uh, Two years-ish now. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, there weren't many of them at first. It was kind of something they were dipping their toe in. But then, of course, the, the bike is just so incredibly good mm-hmm. that uh, you know it was flying off the shelves. So the position is almost identical to a Nighthawk with a little bit less scrunchiness okay. about it. And the handling is much, much faster than a Nighthawk because it's got less balloony tires and the brakes, like I said. It's got real modern brakes, um, mm-hmm. which is actually occasionally a problem with the students because I have to tell them. I'm like, listen, this bike's got modern brakes, so when you squeeze the brake, it is really going to stop. <laughs> I need you to play with it a little bit and get a feel for it. So this is the bike that, you know, is like the, the new, new Nighthawk? Yeah, I mean, in, in, terms of, in terms of the person who would have bought the 250 Nighthawk, yeah. um, this, is, this is, you know, kind of the thing they could buy now. If they don't want a sporty bike, but they want a 250 and they mm-hmm. don't want a little cruiser, mm-hmm. this is pretty much the go-to. Okay. Okay, next letter comes from Roland. Both of you. Me and Todd. Mm. Step away from the mics and let Sophie take over the show. She is great. A Team Sophie letter. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> she's on five minutes, and she's already getting Team she's Sophie stealing letters. stealing the show. Yep. Unbelievable. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and the last one is a Yuli letter. Okay. Comes from Bill. Bill writes, I'm catching up on the podcast and got to the Yuli Horn episode this morning. The Yuli Horn is pathetic, especially if it's up against something under the fly screen. Which I'm pretty sure mine is. Mm-hmm. It has a kind of bell that needs to ring to work, and even when it's working right, it isn't working well. <laughs> if you go to your local auto parts store, you can probably find a FIAM freeway blaster. Blister packed and hanging on a rack somewhere for under 20 bucks. Hooks up easily, mounts anywhere under the fly screen, can touch things and still works. And it's nice and loud without requiring some sort of relay, payment plan, or steam boiler. I'm thinking, how cool would it be to have this steam boiler looking thing hanging out the front of the bike with a giant Uga horn? <laughs> <laughs> well, you can get the you can get the uh, horns that are like the serious truck horns, but they have an air compressor. You have to find a place for. <laughs> It'd almost be worth it. You just replace one side case with the compressor. <laughs> <laughs> it would almost be worth it just for that exit off of the seventh alone. Oh yeah, I made a lady. I made a lady jump. <laughs> you could see her visibly in the seat jump. And then I actually had the best part is I had the video camera running at the time, so you can hear beep. You got a So, you know. 
<laughs> My oh. bad manners are kept on video. That would be cool. You could just have the the mic go from your helmet to that speaker. <laughs> you gotta leave, bitch. <laughs> Get out of the way. <laughs> Pull your broke ass car over. Cracks are in her back windshield. <laughs> I'm going to pass you now. <laughs> just lay back and think of England. <laughs> going to flip you off as hard as I can as I pass. <laughs> so that's cool. I'd be a little nervous about hooking up the freeway blaster without a relay, but maybe it's not a big deal. I don't know. Because the, the, with the Hellas, the, they warn you flat out right in the box. They're like, if you run this through your horn switch, your horn switch will fry. <laughs> <laughs> because nature of electricity is will try to send as much as it is it being asked for? Yep. And uh, the, the horn they asks for a lot. <laughs> if, you have, if I'm running the heated jacket on full blast and the grips, yep. and I honk the horn, I can watch my little voltage meter go red, green. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's interesting. I never thought about the horns being yeah. that much. Of oh, a... they they eat shitloads of power, but yeah. you know they do it for what, a good reason. Half a second. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> <laughs> a full second in extreme cases. Like I could see me taking a good two, three seconds coming down that off where I'm just. <laughs> By the time I get to the bottom, the bike just goes, ugh. <laughs> <laughs> then it can't go, and the people behind me are honking. Why are you stopped, stupid? You've got a lane, asshole. <laughs> oh, this could backfire horribly. What have you learned this week, Chuck? I've learned that Mike at B&W might be getting some money from me. <laughs> I've learned that taking Chuck anywhere for a dealer interview is very dangerous to Chuck's wallet. <laughs> well, the second thing I've learned, I'm glad my wife doesn't listen to the show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's it for us this week, folks. So until next time, ride safe. I'm Todd. And I'm Chuck. We'll see you next time. If you listen to us on iTunes, please write a review for us so that we can get some more exposure and hits. Thanks. If you like this podcast, you can find more like it at wheelnerds.com. This has been a Wheel Nerds production, all rights reserved. Readings from other sources are the property of their respective owners and are used with satirical intent.